Buddy, great to see you all. Uh, hey, over these three months, kind of around the time of Lent uh, here at the Vineyard, uh, we're actually doing a really special focus uh, where we're doing uh, a bit of a church-wide journey uh, that includes a number of different elements. Uh, many of our small groups are currently utilizing some material from the Alpha course, uh, which helps us understand uh, how to engage in curious conversations with folks that might not consider themselves the followers of Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, as well as help us to be able to grasp those and to deepen those foundations of what this Christian faith thing uh, is all about. So we've got that element with small groups going on. We've got a daily devotional that we've been posting to our website. A wonderful leader called uh, Molly Ovenden uh, has been writing those. And so if you've had a chance to check those out, they've been really great. You can still plug in on those. You can find those on our webpage. And then finally, uh, we've been doing a special series of messages on Sundays. We just kicked off uh, titled living the future. Uh, Steph Bremer kicked this series off last weekend by referencing Revelation chapter 21. At the very end of the Bible, we see this picture of the end of time, where there is a new heaven and a new earth, where every tear has been wiped away. There's no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. It's all gone forever. God is dwelling among his people, and God's people are living in unity. What an amazing thing. Everything is perfect, and it's set back right to God's original design. Now, typically when you read a book, if you skip ahead to the last chapter, that kind of ruins it. You know, it's like you're, you, you lose the adventure of that story. But with the Bible, skipping to the end is actually a really good idea. Uh, we get this opportunity uh, to understand how the story ends, and then what that does is it helps us to know how we can live and, leave, and, and, leave and, and live in our lives right now. So looking ahead to the end is one of the focuses in this current sermon series. Another one is looking more closely at the person of Jesus. As we see who Jesus is, we also get a lens to the future. And when we connect with Jesus, the things that are true about him can actually become accessible uh, to us as well. So for most of this series, what we're going to be doing is looking at what are called the I am statements of Jesus, these seven statements that Jesus made uh, in the Gospel of John. It's way, Jesus' way of describing himself and what it is like to connect with him. Take a look at the, the different ones here. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Go back, please. Uh, I am the bread of life, John 6, verse 35. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then finally, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And so, bit by bit, Jesus is unpacking for us, this is who I am, and this is what it's like to connect with me. And then back in John 8, verse 58, there's even a bonus statement where Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham, this great patriarch of the, the faith, before Abraham was even born, I am. If you might have been with us in our previous series that we were just working through, through the book of Exodus, you remember how important uh, 
uh, items were often grouped together in sevens. And so we've got seven I am statements of Jesus, and then also how God revealed himself to the Israelites as the great I am. And so in the Gospel of John, we see these two things merged together. Jesus is boldly putting himself right in the middle of these two, two historic truths. He was saying, if you want to know God, I'm the way to do that. And here are the things that you can experience in connecting with me. So with that in mind, here's what our focus is going to be for today. We want to zero in on the statement that Jesus makes in John 11, verse 25, where Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Before we're done this morning, we're going to explore how. Through Jesus, we can experience resurrection power and an eternal kind of life. That's where the story ends, but there's also several other elements that we're going to look at uh, along the way. So let's go ahead and take a look. Why don't you grab a Bible in front of you and turn to page 733 if you're watching online or if you want to uh, grab your own device here, you can turn to John chapter 11. Uh, this whole chapter is amazing. I actually wish we could spend all um, uh, the whole time reading through this chapter, but we don't have time for that. But I would encourage you, maybe in your own devotional time this week, your own time reading the Bible, to just spend uh, some time working your way through this whole chapter. It is really amazing. It's a powerful passage to place yourself in the story and to do what sometimes we call like imaginative contemplation, just entering into that as your own experience and praying, God, would you just show this to me? And so even as we just took, take a look at a little bit of this today, uh, let's ask for the Holy Spirit's help uh, to enter into this powerful story. God, would you just come right now? Thank you for your promise to open your word to us. And God, we ask that you would do that in just a supernatural way today. We want to connect with your real power and your real life. But God, we can't do that on our own. So we ask that you would bring just that help of the Holy Spirit. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we'll start right at the beginning of John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. Uh, he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then, after two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Go ahead and skip down to verse 17. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When, Mary heard, or when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And so Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. Okay, we'll stop there for now. Uh, again, there's a lot more to read in this story. Uh, if you read to the end of the chapter, you, you realize at the end that Lazarus uh, is raised from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead. Uh, that actually gets Jesus in a lot of trouble with the religious leaders of his day. In fact, that miracle is the final strike that motivated those leaders to unleash this plot to capture and then eventually crucify Jesus. This is like the hinge point of the whole story. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, uh, we're going to spend plenty of time today looking at ways that connecting with Jesus uh, can help us experience this resurrection power in an eternal kind of life. But first, let's explore a little bit um, of some of the earlier elements uh, in today's passage. If you take the approach of imagining yourself in this passage, imagine what it would have been like to be Mary or Martha. You know, again, we know how the story ends with Lazarus alive again, but in these first few verses, it is not clear at all to Mary and Martha. In fact, they had been to be extremely confused. When Jesus got the message from these two sisters, he stayed where he was for two more days. He didn't make preparations to go. He didn't send this message back saying, well, we're on our way. He just stayed put. What the heck is up with that? That brings us to our first main point for this morning. We don't always understand Jesus' timing and his movements. This is one of the harsh, stark realities sometimes about life. We don't always understand Jesus' timing, his movements, his ways. Now, God doesn't play games with us. And yet, his ways are not our ways. His timing is not always our timing. In Mary and Martha's experience, they were watching their beloved brother die. From Jesus' perspective, there were a couple other things going on. First first of all, verse 4 makes it clear that Jesus had full intentions to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then second, as verses 8 through 16 describe in more detail... Jesus was aware that if he went back to the region of Judea, that he was putting himself at risk of being captured and killed. This was a very real threat. In the end, Jesus did head to Bethany, back to the area of Judea, and he was willing to be put, um, put himself on the line for his friend. But that certainly didn't happen in the way or the timing that Mary and Martha would have chosen. Let's dig a little further into their experience. Look again at verses 20 and 21. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if only you had been here, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's a question for you. Have you had if only moments in your life? Have you had some of those before? You know, If you asked, if only she would have paid better attention to her health. If only he would have pushed through the difficulties in our marriage. 
If only I would have taken this course of study in college, or if I would have chosen this job instead of that job. If only my kids would have made this decision. When's the last time that you said something like that, if only? Whatever it might be, you likely know the ache of wanting to turn the clock back on some kind of experience that didn't go the way that you had hoped. You know, all of that and more is found in Martha's if-only statement to Jesus. If only he had been closer or quicker to arrive in Bethany, what would have happened? And I can just imagine the disillusionment that she might have felt. And yet in her confusion, here's what she did. She moved towards Jesus. Now Martha sometimes gets a bad rap from preachers, but I think her response here is really spot on. And I think we can learn a lot from her. And so if, if you're in a place whether it's right now in your life or you think back to a previous time in your life where you've got one of those if-only statements where that is true in your heart or your mind, I want to encourage you to put yourself right in Martha's shoes. Run off to meet Jesus. Tell him the problem. Lament that this awful thing has happened. Just give it to him. There is amazing power in expressing that to him in raw honesty. You know, this is a lot of what Jim Harrington and I were um, talking about in the midst of our message a couple weekends ago. You know, we were talking about letting go of the religious niceties, you know, and instead getting just gut honest with God. You know, and in doing that, you can use your own words or you can even borrow them. <laughs> you know, this is one of the wonderful gifts of the Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, over 50 of them are what we would call psalms of lament. They're crying out. There's immense pain. There's this, this guttural way of saying, God, I don't get it. What is going on? And even like some anger that can be there. This full range of emotions that we can give to God. Praying those, praying other things like that as your own prayers can be incredibly powerful. I think particularly in painful experiences and in times of grief, it is so crucial to own our thoughts and our feelings, even the ugliest ones. Give voice to the full range of your emotions and trust that God will meet you in those exchanges. I want to finish this first part of the message. Um, actually, I was sharing one more element of my journey. I talked a little bit again a couple weeks ago about just my wife and I's journey of our daughter Elizabeth passing away 23 years ago. And in, in the aftermath of that, one of the places that I found that God met me was actually through a, a song um, written by Rich Mullins, song titled Hard to Get. And in a way, this became a personal psalm for me. It was one that gave voice to uh, just the really raw pieces of what I was trying to sort out um, with God. And I felt drawn to play actually a short clip of this this morning because I think it may actually help to give some words to some of us uh, here this morning. Uh, one note, the audio of this song is pretty scratchy. Um, that's because Rich Mullins did a demo recording of this on a handheld device actually just a few days before he died in 1997. So it's just a little tape recorder kind of a thing. But I think that even adds uh, to the honesty of this song, the rawness of it. And so let's just take a moment uh, to listen to the last section of this song, Hard to Get. I know you go high. 
and you are just plain hard to get. Been there before? I think all of us have in some way before. And you know, maybe it's a line that, uh, that you can just own as your own prayer. You know, in whatever your experience might be, whether it's immediate, maybe it's something from the past, that you can have that God honesty before God and that he can really meet you uh, in the middle of that. Okay, let's explore a little bit more in John chapter 11. If we get that gun honest with God, what can we expect in return? That's a vulnerable place, right? Where we put ourselves out there. What can we expect from God? Here's one of the things I can think we can see. We can come to know Jesus as a compassionate friend. We can come to know Jesus as a faithful, compassionate friend. Pick up in verse 32 where Mary enters the scene. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, same kind of thing, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. It's one of the most remarkable moments in all the Gospels where Jesus was moved in spirit, deeply troubled. And it says that Jesus wept. In the scene, we see the power of what we call the incarnation, that Jesus was not some robotic deity. He was fully human. He had real emotions like every single one of us. He wept because because of Lazarus and that he had died and that his friends were grieving. But I think there's also another side to this, that Jesus also wept as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Word made flesh. He cried God's tears over the pain of this world. And what we see in this is that Jesus, according to the book of John, is God incarnate. And so what Jesus does, what Jesus says, what Jesus feels is what God does and sees and says and feels. 
So once you let you grasp at that freedom that that can bring you, Jesus stoops down and he says to you, let me share this burden with you. I'm gonna help you carry this heavy yoke. Jesus wept and so it's okay for you to weep. It's okay to have a funeral and not to laugh all the way through it. It's okay to grieve, whatever that grief might be. Isaiah talks about how Jesus is the man of sorrows. He's acquainted with our grief and pain and he is sharing it and bearing it with us to the very point of tears. And so here's a, another point that I want you to consider, something to consider. It's been said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What immediately pops up in our mind when we think about God tells us a lot about us. And so is one of your first thoughts about Jesus that he is a compassionate, faithful friend? Now, he's certainly more than that. There's additional things that Jesus is, but is that thought in the mix for you? Or are there other thoughts about God that are more negatively dominant for you? I think especially in confusing experiences like Mary and Martha faced, coming to know Jesus as a faithful, compassionate friend is so, so important. Okay, what we've talked about so far really helps to set some of the relational, maybe some of the emotional context of our passage for today. Let's continue by hitting on the main point that I referenced at the, main, uh, at the beginning of the message. It's this, that through Jesus, through Jesus, we can experience resurrection power and an eternal kind of life. Pick up again in verse 23. Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And she answered, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. In Jesus' response to Martha, he invites her to look to the future. And he asks her to imagine that future actually being brought forward, breaking in to the present. First, he points her to the future by saying, your brother will rise again. And Martha knew, as Jesus did, this standard Jewish teaching. Uh, They shared the vision of Isaiah 65 and 66, this vision of a, a new heavens and a new earth, God's whole new world, a world like ours, but with its beauty and power enhanced and the pain and the ugliness and the grief of this present age abolished forever. So Martha agreed with this, but it seems like her flat response in verse 24 shows that it wasn't very comforting uh, at the moment. But it's right then that Jesus says with added emphasis, Martha, I am. I am the resurrection. I love how theologian N.T. Wright describes the impact of Jesus' statement here. Listen to this. In Jesus, the future has burst into the present. The new creation, and with it the resurrection, has come forward from the end of time into the middle of time. Jesus has not just come from heaven to earth. It's equally true to say that he has come from God's future into the present, into the mess and muddle of the world that we know I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Resurrection isn't just a doctrine. It isn't just a future fact. It's a person. Let that sink in for a moment. 
It's not just some idea. It's not some concept. One of the things we're confronted with when we look at the person of Jesus is that he is the doorway into this. He is the resurrection. He is the life. He is the way into this. And so this resurrection is standing right in front of Martha, and he is inviting her to make a huge leap of trust. He's challenging her to exchange her if-onlys for if-Jesus, asking her to, to ask these questions. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus really is the Messiah, if he is God's own son, if he is resurrection in person, then that changes absolutely everything. Friends, the same thing is true for us. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection is the hinge point of our whole faith as followers of Jesus. If the resurrection of Jesus never happened, then our faith is useless. But if it did happen, if it did happen, it becomes the turning point for our entire lives. And we are challenged to put our trust in Jesus just like Martha did. And that kind of power, this resurrection power, isn't found in a set of principles or philosophy. It's found in a person. It's found in the person of Jesus. Okay, so Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. What's that all about? The Bible uses two different uh, Greek words for our English word life that we would translate. The first Greek word would be bios, okay? So like biological life, material life. But then there's a second word uh, that's referenced in the scriptures, and it's this Greek word zoe. And that's the term that Jesus used here in John eleven twenty five, 25. Zoe is spiritual life. It's this life that we experience in our hearts, in our souls. And it's a, an eternal kind of life. And often when people hear the phrase eternal life, they only think about longevity. Like it's just going to go on and on and on and on. But there's this dynamic quality about what Jesus is saying here. That it's about a quality of life. It's a life that begins now and it's durable enough to actually transcend forever into eternity. Now contrast that with our culture. In our culture, we see lots of messages about how to gain more bios. You know, we, we think if we have more material things, more material life, then we'll be satisfied. Even think about the marketing, you know, the, the commercials. We just watched the Super Bowl last weekend. All these things coming back at us. And the message is this. If you cater to your bios, you're going to be happy. But the Bible tells us that we need more than that. We also need this spiritual life, this zoe. That's what's helping us to really be satisfied fully. So how do we tap into that? Look more closely at what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, the one who believes in me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And he goes on to say, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What does he mean by that? Now, obviously, Jesus wasn't talking about that Christians never die, like Believers in Jesus, our bodies wear out just like everybody else on the planet. So what is he saying? Jesus is saying that there's actually a spiritual resurrection that can happen right now. When you put your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit invades your life. He takes up residency in your life. And a key piece of that work of the Holy Spirit 
is to renew you, to revive you, to spark something in you that you could not spark on your own, to change you and to transform you. Again, that process begins the moment that you surrender to Christ, and it continues all the way in until we're made exactly like Jesus on the last day. So when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's not only referring to the future. He's talking about a present reality that you and I can experience. For wherever Jesus is, there is a resurrection power and there is an eternal kind of life. And because of Christ, that is available to us right here, right now, as we put our hope in him. Okay, that was a lot, a little bit going down some theological trails there, but are you still with me here? It is so important for us to grasp these things in our minds, even intellectually and theologically, and it's crucial to let those truths just like burrow down into our hearts so that um, we can really be changed by them. That's where I want to finish up today. I want to finish up by just talking about some few application points. If it is true that through Jesus we can experience this resurrection and this eternal kind of life, what does that look like in you and me? Here's one of the things that this means for us. First of all, we don't have to fear physical death. And you might say, as a celebrity once said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be around when it happens. Um, you know, that's one approach to thinking about physical death. You know, we could try and avoid it, uh, but there's others. Um, in wider culture, we see that death is often glorified. Um, we see this in our fascination with violence and gore and all these things. Uh, maybe on the other side of the spectrum, we can see sometimes death is almost talked about as a friend, you know, as, as just kind of this welcome thing. According to the Bible, the biggest way that the Bible talks about death is that it's an enemy. <laughs> it's an enemy to our souls. Thankfully, it's a defeated enemy, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks so vividly about. You know, death has been defeated by Jesus' resurrection, and so that means that we don't have to fear it. We don't have to fear it. So if you... Put your trust. If your trust is in Jesus and in his resurrection, here's what we believe happens. First, in the moment of death, the Bible tells us that we immediately are in the conscious presence of God. And then, on the last day, I have this promise of new bodies. Our souls will be united with these new, renewed bodies, and we will say, O grave, where is your power? O death, where is your sting? It's been swallowed up in victory by Jesus' resurrection. Christians don't envision a bodiless, like just kind of floating in the clouds kind of in eternity. We don't see the body as a bad thing at all. God created our bodies as well as our souls, and so God's going to redeem the whole package our bodies, our minds, our souls, the whole deal, and in the end, that's all gonna be made right. Every part of his creation in us. And so, because of that promise in the here and now, it actually can be healthy for us to consider our own mortality. We don't have to be afraid <laughs> to think about or consider death. 
And even this week, as, as John and Becca were talking about with Ash Wednesday, this is one of the key focuses as uh, we, we lean into just our brokenness and what does it mean that Jesus met us at this very lowest place where we could not get back to God on our own, but that he met us in the depth of our sin, even in the place where we knew that we were dead, <laughs> but he had given us this promise to be raised to life again. So again, I want to invite you on Wednesday to come and take in that time. I think it'll be a great way to kick off the Lenten season. Next, uh, we can be rescued from spiritual death. It's another key element of what this resurrection, this eternal kind of life can mean for us. I want you to listen again to Ephesians chapter two. I read some of this when we took communion. Back in verse one, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse four, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when Christ was raised from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. You know, maybe you've been sitting in church a while, like you can become almost inoculated to how good this good news is. Friends, we need to remind ourselves of this, that no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, God's mercy and his grace are pointed to you in the person of Jesus. And just as Jesus was raised from the dead, you can be raised to life as well. You can experience forgiveness and freedom because of what Jesus has done. So for a number of us, that may be a reminder that we need to just recalibrate on. But I also just want to note, like, there may be some of you here today where you've, you've heard some about this, but you've never actually come face to face with this good news of Jesus and really consider what that would mean for your life. Today might be a day where you really grapple with that and you say, like, could this be true? Not just in an abstract way, but could this be true for me in my life? Could I experience this rescue from spiritual death over to spiritual life? The other day as I was reading these verses from Ephesians chapter two, I actually thought of something that a vineyard friend of ours named Dan Wilt posted online um, a few days ago about the Asbury Asbury outpouring. Somebody heard about this, seen about this? Yeah. So um, since February 8th, Asbury University in Kentucky, um, there's been students along with faculty, staff, local community members, Visitors from out of town been gathering for this time of spiritual renewal. You know, it's even made secular news. It's been a really amazing thing. It's radical compassion, um, confession, transformation are taking place, particularly with these young people. And so here's what Dan Wilt wrote uh, when he was um, just reflecting on his own experience. (laughs) He starts out and says, I'm at a loss for words. Sometimes I cry about it. I just want to bear witness to something that Jesus is doing. I've been part of the Asbury outpouring for the last four days, and I'm still processing. But here are the words and phrases that I do have. The love of God. The love of God. The love of God. Gen Z, many denominations, honoring one another, humility, wisdom, worship, simplicity, gentleness, unity, no fireworks, no celebrities leading it, no lyrics projected, low production, real, analog, honest, sweet, healing, normal, Presence, peace, repentance, prayer, altar, confession, reconciliation, hope. 
after a time of great distress and culture and disruption in the church comes this, led by emerging adults, facilitated and supported by wise and thoughtful leaders who love them. I'm grateful. You can't manufacture something like that. But friends, that's what happens is we connect with the resurrection power of Jesus and eternal kind of life. That's the kind of stuff that he does in us. We receive it as a gift from God. He is so rich in mercy and love. And it is his delight, it is his delight to pour that out on us. So even as I just read some of those descriptions, maybe you just sense like just that longing, like that is what I want. Oh God, would you come into my life? Pour more of that out on us even here today. Here's a third application. We can ask God boldly. We can boldly ask God for breakthroughs. We can ask God for breakthroughs. And you might think about your life right now. Where are you longing for a breakthrough? You know, there are areas of life that feel dead or dormant. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's a challenge with your health. Maybe it is like just running up against this same sin, this same struggle over and over and over again. Friends, any area of our lives can be a point of breakthrough of God's kingdom. Again, this is so much of what we lean into with this theology of God's kingdom being uh, complete in the end, but that it breaks into the present, that all of the powers of the age to come can break into your life and mine and it can change things. We can experience this breakthrough. That's one of the reasons why at the end of every service here at the Vienna, we pray for one another. That's what we're asking for. We're asking for God's kingdom to come, his will to be done, for God to do what only he can do in our very real lives. And so as we finish up here in just a few moments, if you are looking, you're longing for God to do something, to intervene in your life, to break through in some fashion, I just want to invite you, just like bring those things before him would count it a real privilege to be able to pray with you for those things, saying, God, release your resurrection power in these areas of our lives. Okay, finally, what does all this mean for you and me? Here's the last thing. It means that we can face anything <laughs> that life throws at us. Anything that life throws at us. Jesus' resurrection power, his eternal kind of life can give us what we need to face that. Circles back to what we touched on on the very beginning of the message. If we know how the story ends, it can give us confidence and hope right now. Now, this has been one of my consolations, just even over the last few weeks, I've been walking through this extremely challenging season that we're walking through as a church. There are still a lot of difficulties, a lot of challenges ahead of us, but I really do. I want to say this emphatically. I have confidence because I trust how the story ends. I don't trust, I don't know how all the different pieces go, but I know that in the end, Jesus is good, he is faithful, he has promised to set all things right, and if our hope is in him, then that can lead us to really good things. I know even in my own life, I've faced numerous significant challenges, and I have seen God be faithful through them all, not always in the timing that I wanted, or in the way that I'd like, but God truly is faithful. 
So along those lines, here's how I'd like to finish our talk today. I'd actually like for us to read something aloud together. Um, another powerful section of scripture that I come back to a lot, particularly when I just need reassurance, is Romans chapter eight. Romans 8 is this section of scripture that you can go back to to remember the scope of God's love, the scope of God's power that's available to you no matter what you might be facing. And so if you would, would you just go ahead and stand up? I love this. Um, I'm former Lutheran, and so we always stood up when we read parts of the Bible. And I want to just have us read aloud. And just you can pray these as your own prayers. Own these as your own words these selections from Romans chapter eight. Let's read this together. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Christ Jesus died for us, and he was raised to life for us. And he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's the truth, friends. This is where our hope is. It's not in us, it's in him. It's not in our power, it's in his. And so we go and we just say, Lord, come. Even just right now, God, would you come with your power? God, would you come with your life? God, would you just pour that on us, God, that we can face all the things before us, individually and collectively. God, we ask for that real life that is yours to be available to us. We believe, God, that through Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, that can be ours through faith. And so, Lord, we ask for that even now. Come by your spirit. Come by your spirit. We pray. Let's just wait for a few moments. Yeah, God, that's just our longing. God, that's our heart. God, we can't do this. We can't do this thing called life on our own. God, but in you, we can. God, you raise us up. You spark something eternal in us. And it changes everything, God. So we just ask for that, even right now. Come, Lord. Come with your power. Come, Lord. I just want to encourage you just to, in your mind, in your heart, to just note like, and name 
those places that you most long for this. Maybe it's a specific situation where you're like, oh God, I need a breakthrough. Oh God, I'm, I'm, I'm just feeling I'm just really dead, God, deserty in my life. Would you come right in those places with your refreshing, your renewal? And maybe it's a spot where your heart has just been aching. And you just need God to bring his supernatural comfort in the midst of your grief. Lord, come with that. Maybe it's a place where you just need courage to get God honest with God. Lord, bring that supernatural courage to us. Yes, Lord. If we're on a prayer ministry team, why don't you start making your way forward? We're gonna transition to uh, praying for one another. Worship team's gonna lead us in a bunch more worship. I just encourage you, like, God's presence is so with us this morning. Um, just maybe encourage you, like, don't rush out. <laughs> you know, like, soak that in even more. Let that burrow its way down into your heart, into your mind. Just drink deep of whatever it is that he might have for you this morning. So we do that. I just want to put one more scripture up here. You know, at the very end of Jesus' exchange with Martha, he asked her, do you believe? <laughs> and she said, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah. You're the Son of God who is to come into the world. Now again, for a number of us, that might be something that we've already committed to years ago. But for today, you're putting your stake in the ground of saying, I believe that for right now. My circumstances, the things I'm facing, this is where my hope is. It's in you, Jesus. I mentioned a moment ago, maybe some here today, like you've never taken that step to say, I, I need this. I need the forgiveness, the freedom that Jesus brings. And somehow, as we're talking about all this, I want to take a step forward and say, I believe. And so as we go back into worship, if you want to come on up, um, any of these folks up here would love to just explain more what it's like to begin a life with Jesus. We've got some packets of uh, some information and even a New Testament that you can learn a little bit more about Jesus. We've come at such a privilege uh, to be able to pray with you along those lines. But again, as so we go back into worship, whatever it might be that you want to bring before God, let's go at it together. Let's give our hearts to God. Let's worship. Thanks so much for being here this morning.